This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 474. When we talk about our success, our wisdom, our achievements, they're markers of how we're here to serve other people. And so when I tell you, here's how I've been successful, then you can say, oh, well, then I know how to use her in some other way. And we should partner and make new opportunities together. We've long been told, put your head down, do good work, and eventually someone will notice you. But that limiting and diminishing advice doesn't hold up to the noise and pace of these transformative times. The reality is no one cares about your future the way you do. If you want to achieve remarkable results, It's up to you to talk about your successes and your accomplishments. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown. This is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Each week, we chat with an author about their latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics. Today, it's an expert in the art of bragging. Her name is, in fact, Lisa Bragg, author of Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Your Work Using Purposeful Self-Promotion. That word purposeful is key. I'll be asking Lisa to share about why the idea that if you're good enough or just work hard enough that success will come is not an effective strategy. The need to embrace the notion that shame is part of the journey, how to know what it is that makes you remarkable, and much, much more. One thing I think is pretty remarkable is that we have nearly 400 people inside the Read to Lead community online at jeffbrown.me. If you've not joined yet, I'd love to see you in there. Although there will be paid tiers in the very near future, basic membership is absolutely free. And your free basic membership includes access to exclusive content, weekly business book summaries on topics like leadership, productivity, mindset, habits, communication, and more. Curated resources like the articles that I write, interviews, apps, videos, and more that aren't published anywhere else, and community forum access. That means the ability to rub shoulders with those other 399 people inside. All you need to do is go to jeffbrown.me, slide down to the bottom of the page, and select basic membership. Again, it's free, and that web address is jeffbrown.me. Lisa Bragg is the founder and former CEO of the award-winning MediaFace, one of the world's first content creation companies, which she launched in her basement. MediaFace is a two-time recipient of the Growth 500 Award for the fastest-growing business in Canada. She's a former TV news anchor, reporter, videographer, and show host who's covered a wide range of stories. Her new book is called Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Yourself Using Purposeful Self-Promotion. Well, Lisa, I've been anticipating this conversation for a while. Not quite finished with your book, about 10 chapters into, I think, what is a 14-chapter book. I think I've got like 80-something highlights from your book so far, still three and a half chapters to go. So I think that speaks volumes. I think you've written a great book. So congratulations on your your first book being out. And thank you again for taking time to, to talk with me today. Okay, audience, I'm doing a happy dance here. So, (laughs) you know, when an author hears that somebody is marking the book up and highlighting things, that's what it's about is about sharing that knowledge with someone else. And then hopefully they'll share the knowledge. And of course, we are sharing this knowledge on this awesome podcast. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I think this is a much needed book. You and I have similar backgrounds. You've got a TV background. I've got a radio background. And honestly, there's, there's much of this process that for me personally, and I've still got 82 highlights in the book, but for me personally, I think a lot of this comes naturally to me in part because of the background that I have is, you know, again, similar to your background, but it does not come naturally for the majority of people, obviously. And that's why you've written it. So let's, let's talk first about this 
thing you addressed early on in the book called Starting a Brag Book. I, I mentioned uh, to you before we started recording that I had a chance to interview Seth Godin on, on Wednesday. After the interview, he wrote me to say, hey, thanks for the great interview. And I immediately added that to my brag book. <laughs> I want to remember yes. that. But how does this fit into, into the idea that bragging is about your future? We need to see all these milestones. So we have to remember all these moments that have happened to us along the way to say, hey, these things are important. So we so quickly forget. So in five years, in three years, three weeks, you might forget that Seth Godin gave you a kudos. And so it's really important for us to collect them along the way. And especially if you're in corporate or wherever you are, you get those thank you letters or emails or whatever it is. And then we forget about them. And then we have those hard days and we think, well, I'm just going to give it up. But if you have something that's there and that you can look at and say, Yes, there is proof that I'm doing a good job. There's something there that I can go back to and, and look at it as a as a marker of the past. So yes, you are thinking about the future and where you want to go, but having these little breadcrumbs along the way, it does really point to where you're going and where you've been at the same time. So it's a bit of a compass even. Mm. I've uh, coached podcasters over the years, again, leveraging that radio background and having done a podcast for a while. And I'm often asked... You know, how do I do a successful podcast? How do I how do I turn this into something that people are going to listen to? And I am guilty, for lack of a better word, of, of often citing a Steve Martin quote that Cal Newport turned into a book. And that's be so good they can't ignore you. Do that first. Address the myth that the cream rises to the top. The idea that if you're good enough, eventually you'll get noticed. Yeah, you know, I do wish it were true. I wish that, you know, if you were that good, everyone would notice you. But we've seen too many people who are mediocre on so many stages get ahead and be at the top when really they shouldn't be there. And it's really, you know, it's where you are in in power and timing too. So I think we need to stop saying that phrase to people. And it's the same along the lines of put your head down, do good work, and eventually someone will notice you. It's too loud right now. So mm. we need to send our signal out to people so that they know we're here. So yes, do a podcast and keep at the work. You have to be good. But to think that you have to wait for the cream to rise. And because there's a shadow side to that, that we forget. So if the cream is rising... What's at the bottom? You know, and so if you're, I'm not at the top, what, what does that mean? Right? right. So we have to watch how we use this language because people are on the sidelines and they feel invisible and they're waiting for someone to pick them. And self advocacy is the way you have to be able to say, Hey, I am, I should be at the top. And here's how good I am. You have to be good, but you have to let people know because the cream doesn't just rise naturally. Lots of things float, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a good way to think about it. Um, you know, part of the problem here for a lot of people is this just kind of isn't aligned or goes against the way we were raised. You say what should be the easiest thing, talking about our work in a way that that frames its success is one of the hardest things for many of us to do. Because we're taught to put your head down, do good work, and eventually someone will mm. notice you. We're taught to be hidden gems. And a lot of this because is because we are from the factory era. So many of our social norms still are from, you know, an old, old time where we didn't want to put our neck out. We didn't want to put our hand out. We just wanted to go to the factory and get our paycheck at the end of the day and go home to our families. And so we didn't want to do anything that really put the spotlight on us because back then we were a cog in the machine. And if you were doing anything that disrupted the cog, it was bad because they had to have these strict organizations and figure things out because it was the very beginning of this new era. 
But now we're in a different time. And so the rules have changed. We don't have our grandmothers out in the front yard telling how awesome we are to all the people in the, in the neighborhood. Now our neighborhoods are online. We might be collaborating or competing against somebody who's global. And, you know, grandmothers aren't going to be able to scream that loudly to say, look here, look at this jam. So that's a lot of the problem that we're just trained in this old idea of wait to be chosen, put your head down and somebody else should choose you. But who are the guardians of the status quo? Who is who is going to allow us, especially in this era where we're making new things and we're making new things up every day? How do you know that I'm the person for you if I don't tell you? And so that's the key to it is it's a mind shift of saying we're in this global village now and we have to articulate our value to each other. And then the point is that it's not a me, me, me thing. I, you know, it's about, yes, here's how I'm here to serve, but then let's partner, let's partner Jeff and figure something else together. And then you know how to use me too. Mm. And then hopefully then we're of service to a greater good. Yeah. I think you make a, a great point. We're past the era of gatekeepers. We have to speak for ourselves. We've talked about our mutual uh, fandom for, for Seth Godin. He says, stop waiting to be picked, pick yourself. Right. I think that's, that's at the essence of, of what you're, what you're describing here. You, you talk about something in the book called shame resistance that to put yourself out in the world in a meaningful way, you have to embrace the notion that, that shame is part of the journey. Can you expound on that? You know, I'm going to listen back to this and I'm going to be embarrassed because I may have stumbled. I may have said something that was not exactly as eloquent as I wanted it to be. And then we start ruminating and we have this shame spiral in our brain because things aren't exactly how we wanted them to be because we're humans having a human experience. Mm. Um, but we get into our brains and then we don't act because of it. And what I want people to know is that we are awkward. All of us are awkward. <laughs> and so we just have to go with it and know that it shouldn't be perfect. We just have to put the work out there. And I think the Seth Godin talks about this too, mm -hmm. but we have to put our work out there so that people can see. So having that idea that shame keeps us down, it keeps us in our own head for too long, ruminating over these points and that we will be uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is a phrase. <laughs> that a lot of us are saying in this new era because that discomfort is part of growth and so is shame. Like you have to just allow yourself to move past that discomfort and that fixed mindset. So we want to have that growth mindset where it's a world of not yet. So I'm not great at that yet, but mm. I'm going to be, or I'm going to move into it where it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not that. And so we get stuck in this world of, because we're not great at something right now that we are ashamed. We have shame that we're stuck in the, that we're not good enough. So we get into this shame spiral of things that I'm not good enough yet. So I just want people to move beyond that and just have it, but it's really hard. It's really hard. So we, in the book, I talk about how to reframe it a little bit, but still, it still carries with you. But I think recognizing it and then moving past it as quickly as you can is, is key. It's like, oh, I have shame over that. Okay. Mm. Well, how can I reframe it to, because guilt, we allow guilt to move on fast, our brains, but shame, we stick with shame. And so reframe it as guilt. Oh, I feel guilty that I didn't prepare for this, or I feel guilt. I did prepare for this podcast, but I feel guilty <laughs> that I didn't prepare or didn't do something yeah. is better than I feel shame. Cause shame is that it's almost like a shadow. It's heavier than, than guilt for most of us. So moving on. Yeah. Realizing that we are all, we all have it. A topic related to this is something most of us have to deal with when we put ourselves out there and that's criticism. And, and haters, uh, coincidentally, I talked to Seth about this on Wednesday. He once told me that uh, you know, no authors ever read their one-star Amazon reviews and then said to themselves, gee, now I'm a better author. 
uh, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's, it's about recognizing that it just wasn't for them and that your responsibility is to continue doing the work for the people who it is for. What would you say to those who are worried about the haters and the criticism? And this was certainly me when I started blogging in the late 2000s. I blogged under an assumed name for a year because I was worried about haters. Oh, you know what we have? If you've ever done anything worth value, you have haters for sure. And your story reminds me of when I was in TV news and I was just starting out and this is not in the book, but I was, I had to do the weather. It was a very small station and I had to do the weather and I... I understand how the weather works. I get it, but I am not a meteorologist. I have not been trained in the weather. So it was my first time doing the weather and I really out of school. And so very, (laughs) so I did the weather and then I had to, you know, I finished my segment and it was okay. Mm -hmm. Then I went upstairs and of course the phone was ringing in the newsroom. So if you're in the newsroom and the phone is ringing, you pick it up. So I picked it up and right away it was someone, get that girl off air. She was so bad. She was horrible. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I'm brand new. Mm. I'm like, oh, what do I say? Do I stand up for myself or just say, and so I just said, oh, oh, sir. Yeah. She's very new. She's working on it. (laughs) So I just put myself in the second person, but I remember the story, but do I remember all the stories of all the kudos and that I do have the thank you cards. I've kept the thank you cards, but do I have all those people that called me or met me on the street and said, Hey, you're doing a good job. No, but we remember the people that don't like us. And that's such a weird thing of the human condition. But in the book, it's really that you know, one, one third of people, they're going to love you. They're going to like you. You're going to really resonate with them. One third of people, eh, they're not going to, they're not going to really care. They're neither hot nor cold, but then you're going to have one third of people who just won't like what you're doing. They won't resonate with your message. Of course, who do we focus on? <laughs> we'll focus on the, the naysayers, but we really need to just hone in on the people that really appreciate and like our message and know that we're not for everyone. So I think that's a big thing is, is not worrying about the haters and know that if you are now crossing into that next level, that the haters will come. Mm-hmm. That when you scratch that surface, when you move something, you might, you'll get those people because they just don't resonate with what you want. And so, you know, sometimes that's a marker of success. And that's where you need to have your people around you to know that, okay, these people are coming as you do this great thing and that they're going to rally around you and keep them out and keep the noise away. But know that when you reach that next level, that the haters will come. So, but reading the reviews, yeah, that's, <laughs> and because they're anonymous, right? So it's that whole, nah, not for me, not going to worry about it. So we'll see how it works with the books. <laughs> Ask me in a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take feedback from those who are invested in your journey, right? And those who, whose, whose feedback really means something to you. Not, not those who are hiding behind an anonymous internet wall, right? I think Brene Brown has it right where she takes a small sticky and she writes like six or seven names on it. And then she folds it up. And those are the only people that are allowed into her brain and into her ears and into her heart. And because Mm. the rest of them, you know what, especially when you're making something new, they're not going to get it. And there's just people that just don't like you out in the world. So it's, it's keeping that noise at bay and really going to the people that you admire and saying, Hey, Jeff, what do you think of my book? Do you, you know, what should I improve? And knowing that we always are going to improve, but you have to put the work out there at some point Just say, here, I'm trying this out on the world, see what happens. But those haters, they spend too much time in their vortex. And, uh, and that's another thing, you know, as we talk about our successes, as you share your wisdom successes, as you brag and self-promote, know that some people, when they hear your stories, 
of your your successes, your genius, they're going to think that you're full of puffery, that you're <laughs> just really, you know, that that and a bag of chips. They're going to have that attitude towards you when really we're just telling a story and it depends on context. Mm-hmm. And we can't be responsible for how people receive our messages too. So while we'd love to be in other people's brains, we just can't. So what we say just might not resonate with them and they may think we're simply full of it and all puffed up. But in the truth is we're just telling a story with friends. A couple of things I want to hit on here that, that you made me think of. To Brene's point, you know, the haters aren't the ones in the arena where you are, right? It's it's a little easier to to throw stones from from that uh, from that vantage point. Something else you reminded me of early on in my radio career, my very first job, I was having to do the news for the first time. And I'd never done that before. My haters early on were my own coworkers, people who heard me mispronounce names on the air. This I'm going to date myself. This was during the time of the Iran-Contra scandal. And instead of saying Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, I said Lieutenant Oliver Colonel North or something like that. And I can remember overhearing them in the next room, making fun of me and, and talking about how green I was. It took me months to get around it, to get over that. I had to actually leave that first job and like, wipe the slate clean and start over where nobody knew that happened to, to get past it. It really stuck with me for a long, long time. Yeah. And that's the shame and that it rattles around in your brain for sure. Yeah. And I, I have lots of those. We could share. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you talk about bringing people along on the journey with you. You've kind of hinted at this a little bit. As a skilled bragger, I, th- I think uh, I have an example of what, uh, what you mean by this from my own life. I remember, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm on the right track, I remember uh, early in my podcast journey, wanting to share successes about the podcast and how well it was doing. And prior to this, I was you know, sharing the journey as you talk about and, and letting people know about different milestones and whatnot and asking people to come along for the ride. And so when I began hitting those milestones and having exciting things happen, I remember being very deliberate about putting the spotlight on those people and talking about the wins, but saying, you know, this is because of you. This is because you came along for the ride and you took up the torch and you you did what I asked you to do. This is not about me. This is this is more about you. Is that kind of what you're saying? You know, I, I want everyone to claim credit first off, because so often mm-hmm. we defer credit to other people. So claim the credit, claim your credit there first. But you can always add the because. I think because mm-hmm. is that magic word. So, you know, I have the top rated podcast in the world. And you can say, because of you, right? It's So the, the because softens <laughs> right, it. Right. So I have, and then the because, if you need that, depending on where you are, and especially if you're just starting out, you, you wanna, you'll you want to soften it just because we're just not comfortable <laughs> with talking about ourselves. So having yeah. that because really allows people to say, oh, okay, and I have a part in this too, because everyone has a part in our success, but we have to take credit. That's mm-hmm. the problem. And I, I wish this was in, in the book, but as soon as it was buttoned down, I I you know, there is no I in team. I get it, but there is I in credit. And too often, <laughs> so many of us leave credit lying around and we don't acknowledge this credit that we should be scooping up for the future, for today and showing the world how we're here to serve. But it really is when we talk about our success, our wisdom, our achievements, they're markers of how we're here to serve other people. Mm. And so when I tell you, here's how I've been successful, then you can say, oh, well, then I know how to use her in some other way. And we should partner and make new opportunities together because I've already done the work to be successful. I just, then I'm not telling people. And that leads to burnout when we don't Mm. talk about, hey, I do have the number one podcast or a great podcast but I'm working so hard to keep it great, but nobody knows that it's great. It, we need help with amplifying it. So that's yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Where do we go from that 
what you're talking about now to stepping over into obnoxious land? Like, like what's, what's the fine line there? What, do we, what, what should we keep in mind? If you are worried about being obnoxious, then you're not going to be obnoxious. It's really that simple. Because if if you are, you know, all of us nowadays are on the narcissist. There's a spectrum of, of narcissism in my research that I realized. Right. And so we need it a little bit more in this very competitive world that we're in. And most of us are selling knowledge and we're doing different things now. So you do need a tiny bit of narcissism. So embrace mm-hmm. that. And that's the thing is being obnoxious. If you are already worried about being obnoxious, you're not obnoxious. I think there's that right away. You have that limit inside of you. And so what I want people to do is take it to fear where you're fearing that you're being obnoxious plus 10%. Like mm-hmm. take it that little bit more. I'm not asking you to go full blown. Yay. Look at me. I'm saying like, you know what, this is making me feel a tiny bit uncomfortable because I'm so, this is such a new experience to really be sharing that I I won this award or that I'm successful in this way. So what I want you to do is feel that a little bit of, of discomfort and then take it to 10% more because then that's probably where people won't even notice that you're doing it, that you're actually talking about yourself. People in my research, 85% of people want to hear you brag which means talking about your success with pride. And I believe pride is about a little bit about self-love, right? So 85%, and this was a worldwide worldwide research survey and had 400 participants. They want to hear you talk about your success. Uh, 12% said that they would uh, just ignore you. And the other percentage left, I think is 2%. They said that they would turn around and brag about whatever it is themselves. So they would just flip it right back to you and say, here's my successes too. So the majority, overwhelming majority, we want to hear your success stories. So we have to worry less about being obnoxious and also realize again that we're not in someone else's heads. We can't worry about what their reaction to what we say is going to cause. We just can't worry that much. And so many of us are trained. Don't say that. How will that make someone feel? Don't do that. How will, them, how will that make your sister feel? Like I still remember that. <laughs> but we can't be in their brains because they probably aren't even thinking about us. Everyone's so busy doing their own thing that they're not even going to notice. So you're going the extra 10% is still probably not loud enough. So I would say just keep getting louder, crank up the volume because you're also... When you're intentional, that's why purposeful was such an important word in the title. Mm. Being on purpose allows you to make sure that you're not being obnoxious because it's just not noise. It's with intention. And that's the key. Mm. Well said. There's a couple of things from the book I kind of want to combine. They're somewhat related, but you have some great advice for uh, determining and drilling down into what your superpowers are and also knowing what makes you remarkable. Can you talk a bit about coming to the conclusion of what makes you those things? Well, again, it's that so many people don't take any time for self-reflection. We're just swimming and swimming and swimming. But when you stop and think about yourself and consider is your what are your differentiating factors? And that sounds like such a big mouthful, but what is unusual about you? Like, what are the quirks about you? What's weird about you? How do you allow yourself to stand out? Because right now we've been so conditioned to fit in, fit in, fit in. But we need to, yes, fit in, but we also need to stand out. So what are those things that are unique to you that you could talk about that light you up? And I think so often passion is diminished nowadays. Like, what are you passionate about? What are you enthusiastic about? And I think you can hear it in my voice that I'm so passionate (laughs) and enthusiastic that I'm you know, back in my broadcasting days, slow down, slow down, but you get so excited. And my eyes are lighting up when I talk about these things and my hands are, you know, all over the place. And so when we have that, you can see that somebody's passionate, we'll lean in more. 
And so when you know what makes you remarkable, you're doing all those things, your eyes, your passion, you're talking about fa- fast about it. Mm. That's when you'll know that uh, what makes you remarkable. So take the time to say, what impresses me? What are my achievements? What makes me fascinating? What accomplishments should I share? Like those things are what will make you remarkable and stand out in today's marketplace and start forming your bios, all those dreaded bios that we have to write everywhere. When you have a sense of what makes you remarkable, it makes it so much easier to say, here's how I'm here to serve. And here's how I stand out in this this very loud world. <laughs> I remember my first week in radio, getting a call from my mom while I was on the air. And she simply said, Jeff, you need to slow down. You're talking too fast. I can't understand a word you're saying. You know, and that's because you're so excited, right? <laughs> so we get that way. So, but yes, it's, I, I was accused a few times of being an auctioneer. So, and not in a good way. So <laughs> yeah, Sally Hogshead, I think it is, talks about how different is better than better when it comes to differentiating yourself from other people, right? Different is better than better. Yeah. And she has a good book. And then what makes you remarkable? So being different is one thing and we can't compete on better. Don't even try nowadays. It's just not because we're all so unique. You know, there are so many different factors to us and it's about our values, how we show up in the world. And so, you know, we can't compete against each other because that also then gets to the bottom line, like it collapses your margins. So you really don't want to go to better and have to defend better, stay away from better. I, I lead a cohort. Uh, I've done about four of these a live cohort called Note Making Mastery, where we make a distinction between note taking and note making. And a big part of the process of note making is as you collect thoughts and ideas and insights from other people, putting your own stamp on them, distilling and crystallizing those down into your own unique points of view before you begin thinking about taking those building blocks and turning them, turning them into something you know, truly unique. Um, there's really nothing new under the sun, but what is unique is you're you and you're the one person consuming the content you're consuming. And that's unique to you. And you can put those things together in very unique ways. Talk about the importance of having a point of view in this context. Absolutely. You have to have your own point of view on things. We so often just want to go along with the flow, but by being able to say, hey, this is my take on this information then you start to move into not just being a knowledge broker of collecting different ideas, but then being an expert and saying, here's here's my take on this and here's why you should listen to me. And that's critical because otherwise we're just part of the masses again, and you're sending out noise, not a signal. So making sure that you have your own point of view. So again, some self-reflection, what do I think about this and what can I add to it? Because we're all building and adding onto everyone's ideas. So what is my take on this that maybe people haven't really thought about lately because they haven't had my experiences in life. So making those connections can be a great jumping off point for so many of us. So, so often we wait for people to ask us our point of view too. And then we don't have one when they ask us (laughs) and then, you know, we're not able to articulate it. So Mm -hmm. taking the time to say, what is my point of view on whatever it is? Like I was just at a big conference and what's my point of view on AI? Am I afraid or am I excited or am I both like, but having an understanding of some of these big topics coming ahead for us and knowing you know, we're all malleable. We're all willing to change and our position on things. But where am I right now on my point of view? And your point of view doesn't have to be forever. It's for now. I have this point of view, but I am willing to change it because I am a growing human and willing to learn. But what is my point of view so that it also allows us to engage in a conversation? And I think that's what's lacking nowadays is we're not able to 
or willing to articulate our point of view to then be able to have a conversation about something. So, and I really believe you can change your mind. So when you say, here's my point of view, it's not forever. It's just for now. So allowing yourself to, to move forward, but we quickly diminish our own sense of story by not having a point of view. Well, uh, I mentioned that I'm about uh, 10 and a half chapters into this 14 chapter book. I'd be curious to know if there's anything I haven't asked you about, because most of my questions have, have obviously come out of what I have read. What have I not asked you about that you want to make sure people know or walk away with? Well, I think chapter 13 is really important for people. It's about leadership. I'm pretty sure it's chapter 13, maybe chapter 12. But either of those chapters are really (laughs) important because they're about leadership. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, how do we help the people who, who turn to us to help them to shine? And so that's where it's not just about me. It's about how do you help your teams to really grow and flourish? So many times there's a sense of invisibility by a lot of our staff and they feel like they're not engaged and they're not being seen and heard. And it's fundamental to the human condition to be seen and heard. So how do we help our team to be seen and heard and and claim that credit that is so important to be claimed so Mm. that they can get ahead? And so it's being willing as a leader to say, they need to do this. They need to shine. It's not just about me. Here's how I can help them shine. And then you'll be the best leader ever by helping them along on the journey. They'll remember you for it because then you've helped nurture them. And knowing that they're, you know, it's not a scarcity mindset. There's so much pie for all of us that Mm -hmm. if I shine my light on my team, it's going to shine right back on me. So the more we do that, the more we allow this shine to happen, people to brag and self-promote, the better it is for our teams and for our organizations too. So people are going to be willing to talk about their successes. So often we're so quick to talk about our failures and where is that taking us all time talking about failures? Yes, we do need to talk about that, but so many people on our teams, they can't articulate their awesomeness, but they can tell you all the self-deprecation they can go down and just be so humble. And then you don't know where they want to go or what to do with them because they haven't articulated that they are the ones who really should be you know, on the rise. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't much guilty of that in my radio career, but when I ventured out on my own, I can think of several specific examples where I was in rooms filled with other people who, many of whom were further down the journey, the path than I was. And any opportunity I got to speak in front of those people in small groups or large, it was always about what wasn't working or how much room I still had to improve and how I was behind them and all that kind of nonsense. I remember even get going out on stage once and I, reg- I, mean, I regret this to this day. And there are many of my mentors in the audience and I was happened to be speaking on podcasting to, to a room full of authors and making a joke, a self-deprecating joke that I thought would, would be well-received uh, was, you know, the, the, the organizer could have gotten this dude or that person, but, you know, I live in town, so here I am, you know, kind of a thing and expected a laugh and got groans. And one of those people in a mastermind eight months later said, when you said that, I wanted to punch you in the throat. You so diminished yourself in that moment unnecessarily. And I learned, I still would love to do that over, but I learned so much from someone being willing to come out and say, you screwed up. Don't ever do that again. I appreciate that person so much we need, because, but you know, what happened there is that you are trying to, to lower yourself from that, that experience and say, Hey, don't look at me. I'm just, you know, happen to be here. Right. And, but what it also does though, is diminishes the audience. So they felt devalued by that, 
that comment too. So not to add shame to your story, but that's where it's such a great learning moment for all of us where that's where when people say in their on LinkedIn and on the different social posts, you know, I'm so humble. And why did I win this award? You know, what were the judges thinking? You see some different variances of that saying, you know, about when people win an award Mm. and you need to actually say, thank you for having me. And because otherwise it diminishes the people who have brought you in. So the event planner or the people that judged you for the award, and it diminishes the audience who's there looking at you saying, wow, Jeff, you're on stage. I really want to be you. And you're like, no, no, just, you know, some guy from the town. And then when we do that, when we say, oh, it's nothing, then the people who are below us who want to to grow into our shoes now think the bar is so high up there that they're never going to achieve it because they're plodding along. And so it makes the journey for people all around us so much harder. So, so it's really saying, Thank you. And I'm excited to be here. And if you want to say because of you, (laughs) (laughs) and there's a big call right now for adding more humility into things. And so we have to watch that call because sometimes it doesn't work. It backfires. And I think you see in the book, don't you use words like honored instead of humble, right? Don't you, Uh, don't you cite that example specifically? I think I do. Yeah. Cause we say humbled and it just diminishes everything so much. You're not humbled. Like that means you're unworthy of it. That means the judges picked the wrong person. Yeah. And be honored. I am honored. It is an honor to accept this award. Mm-hmm. It is an honor to be on this podcast. And I greatly appreciate it. So it's that honor piece that says, I honor the value of this experience. I I honor the people listening and participating in this experience. And I honor the future opportunities that will come from this because you know what? I am worth it. So I should get that. But we're so conditioned to dismiss, diminish, and self-deprecate that it, it becomes a hazard to not just our own self, but to our audiences and the people that are truly cheering you on. So kudos to that person that did that, that said that to you. And uh, what a great story to to share with other people so that they can learn. I've got a couple of questions for you in the time we have remaining, not about the book, if I may. Um, one of which is... Uh, the books that have impacted you over the course of your career. What what do you find yourself, Lisa, maybe often recommending to others because it impacted you? You know, I think I was late to late to Seth Godin and um, mm. haven't not have not actually read all of his books, but anything by Seth Godin, I would yeah. highly recommend. He really talks about putting your work out there mm. and getting it going and sharing where you are. And I think that's really important for all of us. And his messages really resonate. So I really appreciate his work. Mm. I think so anything by Seth Godin. And if it's not a book, it's a podcast. So (laughs) he has great podcasts. I really appreciate a book. My friend, Colleen Moorhead, she's the editor. She compiled all these stories. It's called The Judy Project. And it's all these women in business at different stages. And Mm. she compiled their stories. And it's an amazing compilation that you can learn from. When I was telling her about my book, she's like, oh, well, don't write a how-to book. And my book has some how-to, but it has a lot of great stories in it too. Mm. But she hers is all all strictly stories that you can take away from and learn from whatever Mm. the message that resonates with you. And so many of the messages resonated with me that inspired me to one of the reasons I decided to write my book. Mm. Um, 
I would say I do quote him in the book is Albert Laszlo Babarasi. He's um, Babarashi. He's the formula. So it's the universal laws of success. And it sounds so woohoo, but mm. he's a physicist and a data scientist. So he's done all this research. And now that we can set data points and look at different things, he's set research into credit and how success happens and how the network effect really matters. So, you know, all of us using our network to improve the lives of each other and allowing people in and and all the different points of how our network gives us success. So we can only do so much on our own. I could be the best person ever, but if I don't have a network supporting me, we're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. So it's really about how the network supports us. So I highly recommend his book, The Formula. I love reading and I read a lot of you know, I think the same books as you, Jeff. I just yeah. can't help uh, always having one on the go of some sort. And I'm happy to pick one up, read it as I need it and put it away for a bit and then bring it out again as I need some more lessons sure. from it. Yeah. That's something that I make a practice of as well. I usually got two or three going at once. I mentioned note making mastery earlier. I wanted to ask you a question related to personal knowledge management. Uh, some of the things we talk about in note making mastery and center around how best to capture the knowledge you want to want to retain and, and saving it in, in a central hub, a single place, connecting new ideas to existing ideas. And that's where some of the serendipity can happen. And distilling those down, as I mentioned earlier, and adding your own stamp. And then finally, you know, publishing, creating with, with what you've come up with. I'd be curious to know maybe some of your methods or best practices or ways of working through that such that you can take these little building blocks that you collect along the way and then create something having put them together. What are some things you do to kind of just keep track of all this this knowledge? You know, I wish I were better at it for sure. I think because I was a broadcaster though, I would have audio, I would have video, I would have my my written notes, I would have computer notes. And so everything is all over the place. And so and then I have this the brain that's the central filing system and you're trying to keep it all together. So I really try to keep most of my notes in one place. And I've tried so many different um, tools and I still haven't landed on a tool that I would actually recommend, but it's leaving breadcrumbs for myself to know, okay, yes, I'm doing I'm using Otter AI right now and like, go look here, go look there. So it's right. having some breadcrumbs along the way. But I think the tools quite aren't there yet for me mm. where they can sew them all together and say, here's all of the knowledge that I want to, to keep and in, in index. And I think that's a little bit of my problem is not having, I have so much IP that, mm. um, so I have right now, what I'm doing though, to be a little bit more organized is I have five folders and I'm trying to take anything that I put in there. And so I'll take pictures of my notes. I'll use my iPad and make it into that. It's actually in, in um, text instead of just my scribbles right. and keep it in there so that it's manageable for me. And the book, I tried several different platforms for writing a book and that ended up just in using a typical doc kind of, um, right. but having a good outline for everything helps me because then I insert all a lot of my thinking and then it's like, Oh, right, right. That goes there. That goes there. And so uh, for the long form, it's been really interesting because I was also so used to writing short form broadcast style writing right? and then social posts and things like that. So it's, it's been a change doing a bigger uh, project <laughs> and definitely know how I'd organize my thoughts faster next time as yeah. the process goes. We're always learning. If you don't mind sharing uh, those five folders, do, do they have specific names? 
Are, are they labeled a certain way? Do you mind sharing? Yeah, that? they do. So it's just based on some of the IP. I should, I'll, I can pull them up, but it's based on the IP that I'm really working on right now. So, gotcha. you know, so if it's about bragging, it's about self-promotion, it's about uh, women in leadership. So I'll have those things there organized and then I'll put any articles that I feel really resonate with me or at least the links. And I'll try to have a central page of that information too. So it's not all over the place. So there'll be the link and maybe a little bit of my thinking there, like why mm-hmm. I didn't like like that or what it is that really made me sound off. It's really interesting because we're watching and consuming so many different forms of media, you know, so something might've been on a podcast or a webinar you attended. So making sure I grab a clip of that, if I can, that piece and including that audio clip or getting it transcribed and putting it in my notes. So capture it, put it in the file and whatever other media that needs to go along with it to really reinforce my thinking. That's what I I add in there. But I always write if I don't like something because there's something in that. If it doesn't resonate with me, there's some new IP that can really be mm. be brought out because of that. And, and having an index, I think you said, or a map of content that kind of helps you point to where everything is ultimately. Yeah. Right. Outlines, roadmaps are all critical, especially to actually finish anything. So by having that, even if you change the map along the way, having some sort of structure is critical for getting the thinking out there and actually finishing it. All of us have so much thinking, but we're just not putting it in it in some sort of document that we can send to the world or podcast or whatever it is. We we can keep it hidden. And so making sure that it's there so that you can easily extract it and then send it out into the world is the key. So whatever the technology is that's on the horizon to link all of our thinking together, I'm sure it's just ahead, but <laughs> looking forward to that. And with AI, I, you know, I talked a lot recently about the fact that I think AI is going to make one aspect of this process, which is one of the four pillars of note-making mastery, obsolete, and that's organization. Mm-hmm. I think AI is going to, to make the need to organize your notes uh, no longer necessary. You'll be able to query the AI and bring up instantly everything on a particular topic uh, or related topic that you want to in any given moment. And then you never have a blank slate, right? You never have a blank screen. You've always got something, a place to start. And now it's a matter of just taking those building blocks and connecting them into some sort of cohesive narrative. You've already done the work. Something that might help you that I find helps a lot of uh, new members of the cohort, and that's understanding that we all have different note-taking styles and the research on note-taking styles and determining whether you're an architect, uh, if you're that archetype, or maybe you're a gardener, or uh, maybe you're a librarian. So understanding which one of those you are helps sort of narrow down, well, if I am going to use a tool, say a digital tool, I now have a ballpark of where I need to focus. It's probably one of these, right? So, so uh, I can certainly follow up with you after this or uh, point you in the direction of some of that research that may be helpful to you when it comes to kind of uh, getting, getting your head around that, I guess. See, the more we learn from each other, the easier things will be for all of us. And so I think that's where all these tools and all the thinking, because then you don't have to think about that thinking. Right. Right. We have, you know, wherever our genius is. And so somebody else has already figured it out, has these, these, you know, types and the the library ready, then take advantage of this library (laughs) for all of us. So no need for me to rethink it, but what tools can help us to get our thinking out to the world and have our point of view so we can be seen and be heard. I think that's the whole thing. Like, just don't keep it in the tool, get it out there as quickly as you can so that you're sharing your knowledge with other people who desperately need it. So, so I need your knowledge. So bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people appreciate 
uh, this process as it relates to tasks and to-dos. They think of things like getting things done, getting it out of your head and getting it on paper, getting it captured. And what I'm talking about is is having a similar system for your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this has been a, a fantastic conversation, a lot of fun. Lisa's book is called Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Yourself Using Purposeful Self-Promotion. And I didn't even get a chance to ask or point out the fact that, yes, her last name is indeed Bragg. Uh, who better to write about this topic? Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. Lisa recommended a lot of great books. I've got those listed in one convenient place, along with the other resources mentioned, a summary of today's episode, and ways to connect with Lisa online. It's all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 474 for episode 474. And while you're there, be sure to click on over to jeffbrown.me. That's where you'll find the Read to Lead community online, nearly 400 members strong. You can grab a basic membership absolutely free. One more time, that's jeffbrown.me. You'll recall that at the beginning of this year, I mentioned the six books I was most looking forward to in the first six months of 2023. We've interviewed three of those six books authors so far. Author number four of six visits us next week. His name is Adam Alter, and his book is called Anatomy of a Breakthrough, How to Get Unstuck When It Matters Most. We'll follow that the next week with Christine Curtis and her book, Choosing Greatness, an Evidence-Based Approach to Achieving Exceptional Outcomes. And we wrap up May with the one and only Seth Godin, his 21st book called The Song of Significance, A New Manifesto for Teams. All that and more on the way right here on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.